Hey, hey, welcome to Crossroads. My name's Paul. It's my joy to welcome you. Can you imagine? They gave the message of the whole Bible in one minute. I wish I could preach that fast. Well, hang on, everybody. It's great to see you as we kick off our brand new series called The Bible. I want to give a special shout out to our amazing, awesome, volleyball winning Hayward Campus. I want to say to our Hayward Campus, we love you guys and I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. So I also want to say a special welcome to our students who have come all the way from China. We want to say we're so honored to have you with us today. It is our prayer that our service would be a great encouragement to your life. Now, as we jump into our message, Why Trust the Bible, we have an outline for our message tonight. It's inside your program. All the verses from the Bible that we're looking at are printed there for you, and there's a place to take some notes if that is helpful for you. So I encourage you, take this out and use it to take some notes. And as we jump into our message, I want us to start off with some very key and profound life questions. So here we go. Question one, where do you go to get direction for your life? Let me ask it this way. How do you find and figure out the purpose of your life? I mean, how do you know if you're really being successful and winning in the game of life? Like, like another way to ask this is, is where, do you get the, where, do you, where do you go to get the rules of how to live life well? Where do you get the rule book? I mean, some kids were asked to answer this very question, to, to like come up with some great rules for living life. And so they asked some fourth, fifth, and sixth graders for their top rules to live by. This is what they came up with. Rule number one from a fourth grader, never trust a dog to watch your food. That's a good rule. Another rule is this, very practical. Always wear a hat when you're feeding seagulls. Very practical. Now this next rule might save you from a spanking. Here's the rule. When your dad is mad and asks, do I look stupid to you? <laughs> Don't answer him. <laughs> so that's a good rule. And the next one might actually save your life. Here's the rule. Never tell your mom her diet's not working. That's just clear on that one. Next one is rule number six. Never try to baptize a cat. <laughs> so... And then my favorite rule came up, came up with, a sixth grader came up with this rule, and this is what the rule. Remember the two places you are always welcome, church and grandma's house. Now, I really like that rule, and I want you to know that regardless of who you are, where you're from, what you've done, or what's been done to you, I want you to know that you are welcome here. We're thrilled that you're here tonight, and I want you to know that here at Crossroads, we believe that you've been made by God, that you've been made special and in his image. We believe that God made you to love you and that he has a great purpose for your life. And this God, this amazing God who made you, he wants you to know him, and he wants you to know his love and to have a real relationship with him, so he gave us this amazing life-changing book 
called the Bible. The Bible. And I want you to see on the very top of your outline what it says about, what the Bible says about itself in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So let's look at this passage together. It says this, all scripture is inspired by God. And would you underline that phrase, inspired by God? It literally means God breathed. It means that God worked through the minds and the hearts and the personalities of the people writing to tell us exactly what he wanted us to know about him, about love and life and his purpose for us. That's why when it says it's inspired, it means God breathed these words and it's inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, kind of like a rule book. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, the Bible, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You see, this book, the Bible, can I tell you, it's more than just religious writings about people's thoughts and ideas of what God might be like. This very book claims to be God's rule book and roadmap for our lives. And I don't know how you look at this book tonight, but can I tell you, to me, I see this book as like an owner's manual for life. I look at it as a love letter from God himself. I see it as a treasure map that leads us to our real home in heaven. I see the Bible as spiritual food for our souls. See, I see the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, in fact, would you write this down? The Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. The Bible, the Bible. Now, can I tell you the whole purpose of not just this message, but the whole purpose of this series is we want you to take this book and make this book all the things we just talked about. We want to challenge and inspire you to do what world-renowned pastor Wayne Cordero says on your outline when he says this. I would challenge you to give your life to the mastery of just one book, the Bible, the Bible. Now, some of you, you may be asking the same question as the title of our message, message. why? Why would I do that? Why would I invest time and energy and effort in trying to study and learn the Bible, let alone let it lead my life? Another way to ask this question is right there on your outline. What is so special about the Bible? I mean, let's be honest. There are a lot of religious books out there that claim to be God's word. Uh, what makes the Bible any different than, say, the Quran or the Book of Mormon or the writings of Confucius or the Hindu Vitas or the bazillion other religious writings that are available today? What is it about the Bible? Well, can you write this down? This is what I want you to capture. So I want you to understand, in comparison to all other writings, the Bible is unique. It's unique. The dictionary defines unique as one and only, single, soul, different from all others, having no like or equal. And what I'm saying here is when it comes to religious writings, the Bible is in a class all by itself. 
And however you find yourself feeling about the, this book today, when you examine the evidence, you're going to have to admit at least one thing, that the Bible is unique. And that's not just my opinion, friends. That's, that's based on the facts. In fact, uh, write this down. I want you to understand that the Bible is unique, first of all, in its composition. It's composition. Just like you saw in the video, the Bible contains 66 books written over a 1,500-year period by over 40 different writers. Among its writers were judges and tent makers and kings and, and shepherds and priests and soldiers and doctors and fishermen. The Bible was written on three different continents by people from radically different time periods with different cultures and backgrounds, yet it teaches, capture this, one code of ethics, one plan of salvation, and one rule of faith. This is one of the main reasons why I believe in the Bible. Where else can you find a book written by over 40 different people living under different circumstances, practicing different occupations, writing in different periods of history, and yet those writings together form one perfect book of unity. Friends, no human being could be behind this writing. It's unique in its composition. Secondly, write this down. It's unique in its circulation. It's circulation. The Bible, without question, is the single most published book in the history of the world. Billions have been printed and published over the years, and every year tens of millions of copies are sold and purchased. Perhaps you didn't know this, but as long as they've been keeping records, the Bible has always been and continues to be the number one best-selling book in the world. So much so that they don't even list it on the best-selling list anymore. You see, most writers, most authors would dream of writing a book that would make the best-selling list for two, three, four weeks. Yeah, friends, this is so key, also in reference of its circulation. Do you know that this is the single most translated book in all the world, translated into over 12 to 1,400 different languages? It's unique, friends. It's composition, it's circulation, and also in its survival. In its survival. For over 2,000 years, this book, the Bible, has survived bans and burnings and ridicule and criticism. Countless kings and rulers have tried to make this book illegal, to eradicate it, outlaw it. But, friends, it lives on and its influence continues to spread. You know, it's kind of funny, humorous to me, French philosopher Voltaire, one day he stood up and he proudly stated, a hundred years from now, the Bible will be stomped out of existence. And after he was stomped out of existence, 50 years after his death in 1778, the Geneva Bible Society bought his house and used Voltaire's very own printing press to make stacks and stacks of Bibles. Now, friends, the Bible is unique in its composition, its circulation, its survival, but also it's unique in its influence. Its influences on people's personal lives, mine included. The truth is, think about it, friends. People read all kinds of books 
for all kinds of reasons. Most of the time when you finish a book, you stuff it in a closet or you put it on the shelf and you move on to the next book. You look for the next book to to entertain you or help you escape or teach you something new, but it's different with the Bible. It seems more and more people, they never finish the book. I mean, once they read it, many people go back and start over or they read certain sections again and again and again. What you do find to this very day is that millions of people would stand up and give witness to the fact that this book has helped change their life for the good, for the good. They'll tell you straight up, this book changed their relationships, saved their marriage, helped them parent better, helped them get out of debt, helped them find purpose, and most importantly, prepared them for eternity. Not many books seem to have that kind of effect on people's lives. Wouldn't you agree? Now, in all fairness, I've included a very important statement on the bottom of your outline that reads this. It says, the Bible's uniqueness does not prove that it is the word of God, but it does prove that it stands alone among books. Anyone looking for truth would certainly consider a book that has the above qualifications. Do you know it? Do you read it? Friends, think about it. Now, some of you might say, okay, I'll admit the Bible is unique. I'll give you that much. I I haven't thought about it that way, but I'll give you that. The Bible is unique. But turn your outline over because the next question is very relevant. It may be unique, but can I really trust what the Bible has to say? I mean, the question, is the Bible true and accurate? And friends, this very uh, day, I want to give you three reasons why you can trust in the Bible. The first one there on your outline is you can trust the Bible because of, number one, because of its historicity, its historical accurateness. And friends, that's impressive because the Bible makes hundreds of references to real historical events, places, and people. I mean, there are plenty of opportunities of contradiction with the records of history, But what we find as you read the Bible, friends, for the most part, what history says and what the Bible says go hand and glove. We find remarkable agreement between the historical record and the biblical account, and the few times that they seem to contradict each other after more historical finds are made, usually archaeology discovers that the Bible tends to be more accurate. In fact, let me give you a couple of examples. The first one, write this down, is the example of the Hittites. The Hittites. Now, the Old Testament book of Genesis chapter 10 and the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11, they make reference to an enemy of Israel, a nation called the Hittites. Yet historians could find no record of this civilization or this Hittite nation. So, of course, they question the credibility of the Bible. How could the Bible make a reference to this group that seems to never have existed, the Hittites? But in 1906, in an archaeological dig, it confirmed the existence of a Hittite nation. Not only did they find the capital city, but they also found 40 other cities that made up this empire. And what they found was that the Bible record was was the more accurate account. Let me give you a second example. 
Would you write this down? The walls of Jericho. The walls of Jericho. In the book of Joshua, as the Israelites were entering the promised land, the first city they, that, that they encountered was the city of Jericho. And in the Bible, God told the Israelites not to attack the city, but to march around the city every day for six days. Then on the seventh day, they were to march around the city six times, and on the seventh time, they were to shout out as loud as they could, and God promised that he would knock down the walls of the city and that the walls would come tumbling down. Now, that's the very stuff that skeptics say, how can you believe something like that? Like, knocking down the walls of a city by shouting at them? That's crazy, right? The skeptics maintained for years that the, that the story about the walls of Jericho was a myth until the 1930s when Dr. John Garstang made a remarkable discovery. He states, as to the main fact, this is archaeology, as to the main fact going through the remains of Jericho, there remains no doubt that the walls felt, felt or fell outwards so completely that the attackers would be able to clamber up and over the ruins of the city. Then to back this up, in 1990, on the, on the issue of Time magazine, Kathleen Kenyon, an archaeologist, says that the evidence, the historical evidence indicates that in Jericho, the walls fell suddenly and the city was conquered quickly. And further study found that the date of the fall of Jericho matched the time frame of the Bible. Do you see what I'm getting at here? This is so key. What we do know is fact that over the last hundred years, scores of archeological finds have solved what, which once seemed to be unexplainable contradictions between the historical count and the biblical record. But in fact, I want you to check out this quote from world famous and renowned archeologist, William F. Albright. I put this on your outline. Let's look at it together. It says, discovery after discovery has established the accuracy of innumerable details and brought increased recognition to the value of the Bible as a what? Source of history. Source of history. Friends, is the Bible accurate? Well, you can trust the Bible for its historicity, but secondly, you can trust the Bible, number two, would you write this down, because of its manuscript evidence. Manuscript evidence. What this means, friends, is many people, many people claim that the Bible can't be trusted because it's been passed down through so many generations how can we even know what we're reading today is the true Bible? And they kind of look at the, the, the passing of the Bible translations almost like the game Telephone Wire. Do you know how that game is played? Usually when you play Telephone Wire, you have a big group of people, they all sit in a circle, and the first person whispers in the next person's ear. And they pass it on, and they pass it on, and then they check is what the last person said, does it match what the first person said? So it usually goes like this. The first person says something like, I like, I like pink spotted elephants. And then as it goes around the circle, when you get to the end, the last person goes, I hate blue purple elephants that smell like sushi. 
and they go, they think that a lot of people think the Bible's like that. Well, they made mistakes and things got added and things got changed. How can you even trust the Bible? People argue, didn't that happen with the Bible? Well, would you write this down? This, this relates to, to um, how the Bible has been transferred and telephone wire versus professional scribe. See, I don't think any of us really understand how absolutely serious the biblical scribes were. Those who were commissioned to copy down the scriptures. We don't, we don't have a clue of how serious and legalistic they were about writing down every jot and tittle perfectly, every word. They had all kinds of safeguards to make sure that they were spot on accurate. They knew how many words uh, and letters were in every line they would copy. They knew how many lines were in a book. They knew the middle word and the middle letter of each page, and they'd always go back to check to make sure that it was perfect. Now, I also want to make my case that, that do you know as you sit here tonight that there is more manuscript evidence for the accuracy of the Bible than any other book in ancient history? This is what I mean. When you enter the university, you're assigned to read Plato and Aristotle, the, the intellectual giants. I mean, their writings have had a huge influence on Western thought over the years. And nobody questions the content of their works, on their reliability and their historicity, of whether their writings have been passed down responsibly or maybe have errors slipped in along the way. They're basically accepted at face value as being accurate representations of what the authors originally intended and wrote down. But did you know, now catch her this, that there are less than 10 copies, less than 10 copies of their ancient handwritten manuscripts. That means less than 10 to study and compare and determine accuracy of transmission through the years. So write this down. The writings of Plato and Aristotle, 10 copies. Now care to guess how many copies of the New Testament are still in existence today that can be studied and dissected to determine if what you're reading in the Bible today matches those ancient manuscripts. Now wouldn't, wouldn't it be cool if, there were, if we could say that there were 100 copies because that would be like 10 times more than Plato and Aristotle, right? Well, would you write this down? There are over 24,000 existing manuscripts to help compare and study and make sure that the message of the Bible that we have today matches the original writings of the ancient manuscripts of the New Testament. Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, all right, that's fine, but uh, Pastor Paul, if a bunch of scribes wrote down a bunch of crazy stuff, even if they copied it perfectly, it's still crazy stuff, right? And that's how some people feel about the Bible, specifically in reference to all the miracles listed in the Bible. I mean, the floods and the arcs and the whales and the walking on water. Friends, how can a thinking, logical, reasonable person believe all this stuff? Well, then I just have to ask you, how big is your God? How big 
is your God. The, the only explanation I can give for the miracle accounts in the Bible is that God must have done it. In fact, let's consider the greatest miracle in all the Bible, like the core of Christianity. The greatest miracle is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And friends, when you consider the evidence of the empty tomb, the eyewitnesses, the changed lives of the disciples, I believe that the same God who had the power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, he has the same power to work miracles in history to accomplish his purposes. Friends, the Bible is accurate in its historical account and its manuscript evidence. And there's one last thing I'd like to add. This one's a little subjective, I have to admit, but I have found that the Bible is spot on true in what it says about me and what it says about you. See, the Bible is absolutely accurate when it comes to exposing what I'm really like as a person. On your outline, Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Would you underline these two words? It exposes. It exposes. I want to ask you a question uh, today. Have you ever been exposed? I was thinking about back to my most embarrassing moment of my whole life. It's my high school year on the swim team, the final meet of, of the season. I was swimming the 50-yard fly, and I'm excited about my race, and I go up on the block, and I'm ready to go, and the gun goes off, and I make the dive out. I'm swimming the 50-yard butterfly, and as I leap out, I look down, and I noticed I had forgotten to tie the little string on my little Speedo bathing suit. So believe me, I prayed hard. I dived in, as soon as I hit the water, bam, my suit goes straight to my ankles. <laughs> Friends, talk about being embarrassed. <laughs> like, uh, I'm not kidding. I was exposed. And we're talking the butterfly, too, if you, I mean, it was, can I tell you, can I tell you, that's what the Bible does. God uses his word never to hurt or humiliate us, but to cut to the core of my sinful, selfish nature. It exposes my need for a savior. That's why I put Romans 3.23 on your outline that says this, yes, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious ideal. See, the Bible is clear. We're all sinners, and we all need a Savior. But come on, let's be honest. Who wants to open up their lives to that kind of message, right? I suspect that many people know just enough about the Bible to have a vested interest in steering clear and even berating the Bible because they know if I read it, I'll be called into an account before a holy God and it will speak the truth about my spiritual condition. There's a lot of people who berate 
and attack the Bible, say, you can't trust the Bible. It's filled with all kinds of contradictions and mistakes. And I would say, oh, yeah? I've been reading this book almost every day for the last 37 years. Show me. Show me, friends. The truth is many don't want to hear a word from God because, listen to this, it is easier to criticize the Bible than submit your life to God and follow his teaching. Let me say that again. It's easier to criticize the Bible than submit your life to God and follow his teachings, right? Friends, the Bible, it's unique. It's accurate with history, manuscript evidence, and what it says about you and me. But there's one last question on your outline. And friends, it's personal. Now we come to your time in the message. Friends, I've done my very best tonight. But now this is your moment. And it's your time to answer this question. What will I build my life upon? And you're going to have to fill in that one for yourself. You're going to have to answer that question for you. You know, Isaiah 40, verse 8 says this, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You know, I share that verse because as for me, I decided a long time ago that I was going to build my life on something rock solid, something tried and true, something that will go the distance. And can I tell you, for the last 37 years, I've tried to read this book every single day. This book, the Bible, it's led me to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ where I know my sins are forgiven. And I know I'm going to heaven when I die. This book has shown me how to build a great marriage and lasting friendships and how to be a better parent. This book has taught me how to handle money well and invest my life in the things that matter most. This book has taught me how to fix broken relationships, help people in need. This book has comforted me in times of sorrow. It's given me encouragement when I was on the right track. And this book has kicked me in the butt when I started doing stupid things. This book, it's helped me recover from my past, have strength for the present, and it gives me great hope for the future. And I need to tell you, I don't know where my life would be today without the guidance of this book. I love it. I submit to it. I plan to carefully follow the teachings of this book the rest of my life. In fact, guys, this is so foundational for not just me, but for our church. Did you know, did you know that when we built our new worship center, when we poured the foundation, do you know that we put a cross in the foundation? And remember, we're building this for Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross. And then we put in a Bible. We put the Bible in the foundation to make a strong declaration that come what may, we will always stand on the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-E. You know the song, right? The Bible. The Bible. Well, let's, uh, I want you to, to, to think about this. What about you? What will you do with this incredible, amazing, life-changing book? For some of you, you've never read the Bible. 
Maybe God would challenge you to make a commitment to say, I'm going to start checking out the Bible for myself and reading and trying to learn some things about this unique, incredible book that claims to be the Word of God. Some of you believe the Bible already. You've just kept this book on the shelf and it's collecting dust. And maybe God's saying, it's time for you to pull this book back down. Open it up. And this is what I like to say. Keep your knees on the ground and your nose in the book and start getting back to feeding your soul every day on the word of God and letting it guide your life. Well, let me close with one last verse. On your outline, the promise of Jesus Uh, and what his word will do for you if you take it to heart. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24 and 25, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Let's pray together. Father God, help us to build our lives on the rock solid foundation of you and your word. I just want to say thank you, God, for giving us your word, the Bible, so that we can know you and your heart and your great love for us. And Lord, I pray, God, that you'd help us to take and make the Bible our roadmap, our treasure map, our food for our soul, our strength for our life. And God, I just pray, um, thanking you for your word and this time together. And may this be a place where we build our lives and our church on the foundation of your word for Christ's sake. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.